Welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. It's great to have mining and tax experts from ENS Africa with us today, Andres Marburg and Tabaleng Segabate and Mansoor Parker, um, and they're all from ENS Africa. And obviously we're gearing up for the mining in Daba coming up in Johannesburg this week. And it's happening this week. Uh, there'll be a lot of interest around that and a lot of developments in the mining space right now. One of them, of course, being the energy impact. The minister will be speaking at the Indaba, so there'll be a lot of eyes on what's happening. But this is a key industry for South Africa. And we wanted to delve into some of the key topics today. And it's great to have, you know, such a, a nice broad team of experts with us in the studio. And, and maybe if we can start with, with Andres, who I know has been on the show before and, and all of you have written for us at, at Business Day. And I was just looking at the at the mining exploration a document that came out, and we're looking very much there at attracting five percent of global exploration within uh, five years. Um, Andres, maybe just unpack that a little bit for us and update us on on where we are. Um, I know the process itself is you know it's just a document as a guide at this stage. Yeah, even uh, it has been released by the DMRC, I think in April this year. Uh, what is uh, quite useful of the document is that obviously the government is recognizes some of the weaknesses that resulted in them only attracting, I think, about 1% of the global exploration budget. Um, and they obviously say they aim within the next five years to be up to 5%, and they've sort of identified the key weaknesses um, that needs to be addressed um, in order to, to achieve that 5%. Obviously, the biggest issue there is the uh, energy instability. Um, other areas is the road and rail infrastructure. Uh, and obviously, the unsatisfactory policy implementation, you know, we, we've mm. seen a lot about the mining licenses and the transparency around that. And there's been some discussions about replacing it with a new cadaster system and all of those things. So. So it is great that at least those weaknesses has been identified, but I think in order to to ensure that we meet or at least the increase in, in the global budget, we obviously need to address those things, uh, you know, with the with the necessary uh, action. So so we'll have to see what happens. I haven't seen anything happen uh, extensively since then, but I mean. Um, at least it was a document identifying those weaknesses and, and sort of the plan in order to address those in order to achieve that 5% budget. And you mentioned the energy instability. I think that is a key point. Um, and, and, and just your thoughts on that, you know, is that going to be a, a big hindrance when it comes to these exploration initiatives? I know we're looking at five years, but we're not over this um, this energy problem by any stretch. Yeah, I think sort of, they obviously recognise, and rightfully so, that the energy instability is an issue, and we've recently seen with the recent state of load shedding, uh, the challenges that ESCOM has as the, as the major energy provider. Um, so, so obviously that is a key issue which they need to, to work on to get it done. But I think one sort of um, highlight is that the president has uh, announced uh, last year sometime in 2021 to, um, to increase the threshold for so-called embedded self-generation of electricity for the renewable energy from the 1 megawatts to the 100 megawatts. Um, so we've seen quite a lot of the big mining companies like, you know, Sibania Gold, Harmony Gold, Impala Platinum, Anglo Platinum, etc., who sort of uh, grabbed that opportunity to, to, to spend some of their money to, to, to create some of that self-generation of electricity. And obviously, 
you know, that also adds to the, to the carbon, you know, uh, emissions to reduce that uh, for the renewable energy. So at least I think there is some, some, some highlight there in order to add to that capacity. But yes, there are some challenges, but I think there is some movement into the direction between, you know, government and uh, the private sector to see how they can address that. Mm. And of course, mining's contribution to South Africa's economy and certainly the tax windfall recently is significant, remains significant. But this issue of exploration and the need for diversification, you know, if we don't get this right, it's a big problem. Um, and, and just your thoughts on that um, and Tabaleng on the, the, the need for this diverse growth uh, through the mining cycle. Yes, um, Evan, you know, the windfall in the past tax year came about to the results of commodity price boom. Now, because of the cyclical nature of the commodities markets, it's all swings and roundabouts. Mm. So it can't be expected to subsist for very long periods of time. And there are, um, being that the the current price boom will last for a period of about 10 years. So South Africa needs to position itself to be um, in the the position to take advantage of that price boom going forward. Um, So exploration is is key in finding new mineral deposits that can be developed into fully-fledged mines um, so we can have sustained growth of the mining industry. Yeah, and and also incentives tie into that, incentives to explore. Maybe just unpack that for us as well. Or, you know, are there enough? Can more be done in that space? Yes, certainly. I think tax incentives are part of the package to make South Africa mm-hmm. an attractive um, investment destination for sure. And for mining companies specifically, we do have an 100% upfront capital expenditure um, allowance that allows them to um, take a tax deduction of all the costs that they incur to develop a mine. Um, but it seems like National Treasury is moving away. It's a general trend with tax incentives, trying to reduce the tax incentives that are available. And the Davis Tax Committee actually recommended that this upfront um, allowance be taken away and be replaced with a more staggered allowance over maybe a period of four years or so, which is similar to what's um, granted to manufacturing um, companies. So we, we are seeing that there is a general move away from tax incentives. So um, we don't know if, you know, how long the tax incentive will be around, if they will make amendments or, you know, if it will be kind of changed in some way or other. Um, and then just, you know, on this issue of energy instability and renewable energy projects, um, there are several provisions in the Income Tax Act that might provide for capital allowances for costs incurred in respect of the development of renewable energy projects. Um, so mining companies should keep these in mind. I mean, these are quite niche provisions, mm. so they should be kept in mind at the planning stage. And of course, prospecting comes with high risk, right? Is that being accommodated for, the, the huge risk involved? Yes and no. So <laughs> currently there is there is an allowance for prospecting and exploration um, expenditure, um, which is quite nice because you get a, a full deduction, but you can only yep. deduct it against mining income. Yep. So you kind of carry it over until your prospecting is successful and you've developed a mine and then you get the benefit of that deduction. But if your prospecting activities aren't successful, then that deduction is in essence lost. So in other jurisdictions, there are, you know, other kind of more um, progressive uh, sort of incentives. Mm. And I know Andrews has been working with the Mineral Council, so maybe he'll share with us his experience. Yeah, so, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, 
the deduction which Interbelang makes is obviously is more relevant for brownfields exploration or companies that already has uh, existing mining operations where they obviously if they do further exploration either greenfields or brownfields um, you know they have the opportunity to claim that uh, prospecting expenditure as a deduction against their mining income but but I think the as we discussed even at the outset of this uh, podcast, I mean, in order to attract, uh, you know, investment for greenfield exploration, which I think is very mm. important. I mean, we have the, the uh, 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 widespread mineral wealth in South Africa. Um, you know, there was a document that I think Citibank brought out about 10 years ago about uh, the, the quantum of the mineral wealth they have in South Africa. But we need to sort of, in, uh, you know, incentive, incentivize, you know, uh, you know, um, you know the foreign, the attraction of foreign direct investment to bring that money in for people to actually spend their money in South Africa. And um, although tax incentives sort of goes, uh, you know, on the basis that uh, revenue authorities across the world sort of see that as erosion of the tax base, and that shouldn't be in the tax legislation. I think one has to just find a, a fine balance there as because I think it does have a, a opportunity. And just to mention, I mean, uh, Canada has the so-called flow-through share for greenfield exploration, which has been working for, for decades now. And uh, the Minerals Council has uh, done several presentations to Treasury to introduce adapted flow-through model. And, and the idea is there to track equity type of funding and uh, that has been presented, but we haven't seen any movement on that um, from from Treasury, etc. You see that they're actually entitled to it, other than in the blinks that they're actually trying to move away, taking away, you know, these type of tax incentives. So mm. I think there's obviously this balance that needs to be struck between one part of governments, like the Minister of Finance, Treasury versus, uh, you know, uh, trade and industry and, and the, the DMRE, etc. I mean, it's, if all the various departments within government start, you know, working together, pull all in the right direction, like, you know, Treasury, Minister of Finance, DMRE, DTI, um, you know, yes, obviously, um, tax incentives has the ability to erode a tax base, but I think working together and implement it correctly, I think it could actually, for South Africa, as the mineral wealth, quite the, uh, sort of attractive destination to attract foreign direct in order to, to, you know, have, have more exploration into uh, minerals and therefore develop uh, into full developed mines. Brilliant. No, thanks very much. And so, of course, these issues are all going to be uh, ventilated and looked at ahead of the Indaba. And one of the issues is, is carbon tax. And I know Mansoor has been watching this very closely. Some recent developments where I know Treasury is proposing uh, an increase between 2023 and 2025. Um, Mansoor, maybe if you can just update us on where we are with carbon tax and what we can expect. I know there's been talk of a structure uh, linked to CPI, for instance. Thank you. Thank you, Evan. The Treasury, when the carbon tax was introduced in 2019, um, stipulated the amount by which carbon tax would increase each year for the duration of the first phase, which was meant to end uh, at December 2022. Um, that first phase has now been extended to 2025, which is good news because the first phase is meant to be the settling in period for taxpayers to become accustomed to carbon tax, where your tax base is not measured in rands and cents, but your tax base is measured in greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah. And then you apply a rate to, to those emissions. Um, the rate of carbon tax uh, was uh, 
mean to increase at the rate of consumer price index CPI uh, plus two percentage points. Uh, most recently, um, Treasury uh, announced its intention to to hike the rate of carbon tax up by dollar-based amounts up until 2030, and this was done in order to achieve South Africa's commitments made in terms of the Paris Agreement and the country's commitments to um, achieving a net zero by 2050. Um, these proposals uh, were made, and and it was heavily ventilated during the feedback sessions on the taxation laws amendment bills. I think one of the issues that came out out of these discussions is that. When you look at the carbon tax rate, uh, the rate must be applied to a tax base. In the case of carbon tax, the tax base is the greenhouse gas emissions. So you must start off with your gross emissions and then through a process of eliminating the allowances, get to your taxable emissions, uh, your net emissions. And those net emissions will then be multiplied by the carbon tax rate to determine your carbon tax liability. So there are two components in this. Number one is the carbon tax rate. But the second, and arguably even more important, is the base on which the carbon tax rate will be applied, the base to which it will be applied. Now, that base takes into account the gross emissions minus the allowances. The talk up until this point was the gradual phasing out of those allowances uh, after the end of the first phase, but not a lot of detail was provided. I think part of the reaction to the announcement of the progressive increases in the rates of carbon tax was the fact that it wasn't accompanied by a detailed statement of the phasing down of the allowances. What Treasury did say in the reactions to the commentators uh, on the on the rate increases is that is that Treasury will produce a paper in 2023 on those tax-free allowances and how they will be dealt with and and there'll be a common period on that. And I think that's really good news for entities affected by, by this. And Treasury also announced that there are sectors which are hard to abate, such as ironing steel, chemicals, yeah. where they might not be able to move away from the current processes because there seems to be a knee-jerk reaction is that if you're in a high-emitting sector, then you move over to renewables, you move over to green energy. Um, but the transition to, to that type doesn't always work in every in every sector. So it sounds as if there's going to be a much more nuanced uh, approach to the issue uh, of allowances uh, in the next phase. So, so uh, although um, uh, Treasury uh, stuck to uh, the proposed increase uh, in dollar-based terms, there were certain concessions made uh, in terms of of the, the the conversion of those dollar-based amounts to RAND in order to get a better and more certain uh, price increase for future years. Um, so I think I think the the, the, the debate uh, between Treasury and uh, businesses affected by these proposals will yield some very good outcomes. And of course, the elephant in the room is electricity. Um, yes. Obviously, concerns there when it comes you know for miners specifically because um, you you know ESCOM is also due to start paying carbon tax at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, one of the big issues for miners is that many of them, they don't have a very big carbon footprint. Yeah. So they don't pay a lot of direct carbon tax liabilities. The exposure to carbon tax comes to indirectly, yeah. where they're buying steel from the iron and steel suppliers who will then become subject to carbon tax. And where they're buying electricity from ESCOM, 
which will then become subject to carbon tax at, yes. a, at a future date, or where they used uh, a diesel for the generators, where the carbon tax is embedded in the price of that diesel in the form of the carbon fuel levy, so it's already paid uh, at the pump. So for miners, the, the, the major exposure to carbon tax tends to be indirect. Yeah. And with the extension of this first phase, also came the extension of the so-called electricity price neutrality commitment. In terms of this um, principle, ESCOM, it's, it's subject to carbon tax, but it doesn't have any actual carbon tax liabilities because when it calculates its carbon tax, it may deduct uh, the amount which it pays in the electricity generation levy, which was sort of a pseudo type of carbon tax, as well as the amounts which it pays to its renewable energy producers. So as a result of those deductions, ESCOM is not in a carbon tax paying position, but that will change in future. And at a future date, this commitment will uh, will be reduced. What they did announce is that the current commitment, which was meant to expire at the end of this year, will be extended by three years to 2025. So ESCOM will not be paying any carbon tax until the end of 2025. Treasury further announced that work will be undertaken to assess the impacts of removing this concession on different sectors, and that further consideration will be given to extending this deduction for an additional 3.5 years. So so that is very good news, and that's certainly going to be a hot-button topic for uh, companies affected by S-Company carbon tax to comment on on any further extensions of this electricity price neutrality, uh, neutrality commitment. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for that fabulous breakdown, really illuminating uh, big issues, I think, to to unpack and to, um, you know, to, to delve into at the Sindaba and, and going forward. It's such a critical industry. So that's Andres Mayberg and Tabaleng Sekabate, Mansur Parker from ENS Africa. Thanks for the insights. Great having you on the show. Thanks, Thank you.